Our gospel lesson for today, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay hands on him. He took him aside in private away from the crowd, put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Gospel of the Lord. The people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Over the years, I've read a lot of different stories about Jesus. Blame the day job. I read the Gospels a lot, and of course, we have a lot of different stories, a lot of different moments within Jesus' life and ministry that happen in the Gospels. I've read some that are completely intended to be fiction. They're, they're published as fiction. They're intended to be fiction, but they're about Jesus. They're just stories that are interesting. And then there are some other ones, some alternate Gospels, sometimes called or given the, the, the term apocryphal gospels or gnostic gospels they're basically these alternate stories they're attributed to different people for instance we've got some that are attributed to judas or to thomas we've got there's one that's attributed to mary the mother of jesus another one to mary magdalene so we've got these different gospels quote-unquote gospels they're not considered to be scripture but they're stories about jesus his life and his ministry and some of them are kind of interesting some of them give us some stories into some moments that are not really featured in the scriptural gospels. For instance, some of these stories occur when Jesus was a boy. Now, if we look at the four gospels, we don't have a whole lot of information about when Jesus was a child. We hear about him as a baby just a little bit, but the one story we have in all four of the gospels that features Jesus as a boy is when he's 12 years old and he goes to Jerusalem with his family for the festival. And then somehow he gets left behind and he spends several days in the temple there when he's 12. That's the only real story of his childhood that we have. But some of these other alternate, non-scriptural, let me be clear of that, non-scriptural gospels do tell us some of those stories and they're kind of interesting. Now I'm thinking of two in particular that are actually very similar. In fact, they might just be two different versions of the same moment in Jesus' life. And they have to do with him being a child and actually performing resurrections. Now, in the first instance, Jesus and a batch of his friends are playing around the, the town of Nazareth where he was raised. And one of the boys, one of the children, has a pet toad. And something happens to that toad. 
I'm not exactly sure. I can't exactly remember what happens. But somehow, the toad gets smashed. Maybe somebody steps on it and kills it. And the boy is so upset, he asks Jesus, Jesus, do something about it. And so Jesus, the boy, who is also divine, raises this toad back to life and gives it back to the boy. Now, the other story features a little bit more depth to the same type of situation. And in this moment, as the children are playing, one of the other children aggravates Jesus, makes him so mad, him so angry, that the power of God flows through him, this divine power flows through him, and he strikes the other boy dead. And the boy's father is so upset by this, and perhaps understandably so, that he goes and he finds Joseph, who you might remember as Jesus' earthly father or his adoptive father, and says, hey, Jesus killed my kid. Do something about it. And Joseph's like, Jesus, dude, what are you doing? And do something about this. And so Jesus resurrects the boy. Now, again, I'm not saying these are accurate, truthful stories, but they're interesting. And in that story, I find it troublesome, perhaps even more troublesome than the first version with the toad, because we see that this, this human side of Jesus, this ability to get aggravated, this ability to cause harm to another, comes through him as he strikes the boy dead. Now, he does something about it, too, in the story, but that's troublesome to me. And as I thought about that that troublesome nature of seeing the side of Jesus that we're not really used to seeing, that we're not really used to hearing about, that we don't really think about very often, that same troublesome sensibility seems to be present in one of our two healing stories from today. Now, it's certainly possible that you have heard me talk about this passage before. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like this passage. I find it troublesome. I find it very, very frustrating to see this moment of Jesus, this interaction that Jesus has with another individual. Now, Jesus, at this point in Mark's gospel, he's been doing his ministry for a while. There have been teaching, there's been healings, there have been miracles, there's been all kinds of things, and the crowds are around him. That's nothing new. We've already been hearing about those in past stories. In this particular moment, Jesus has a time when he's leaving Jewish territory. And again, that's not new either. We've heard, heard about times before when he's, he's passed into Gentile territory and been just as active as he is in Jewish territory. But in this particular moment, he's left Jewish territory and he goes to the region of Tyre. Now, Tyre was a city a little bit north of what we would now call Israel. It's right along the shores of the Mediterranean Sea and it's Gentile area. Now, again, in the heart of the Roman Empire, which was the reality of the day, there were all kinds of cultures around, so this would not be unexpected for this type of thing to happen, but it's perhaps even more understandable considering that he is no longer in what we would call Jewish territory. He's off in a Gentile area. Now, maybe Jesus is just trying to get away for a weekend away, or he's taking a week off. Maybe he's trying to be on vacation. We hear he goes into the city, and he enters into a house, and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. But just like we continue to see with Jesus over and over and over again, he can't escape notice. And the people find out he's there, and word begins to spread, and this woman capitalizes. Now, I can only imagine that this woman must be at her wit's end. She's acting not on her own behalf, but on behalf of her daughter. She's like any parent who will do anything to try and help their kid. I can't fault her for that. She's heard about Jesus. She's heard about his ability to heal 
and to exercise demons, the miracles that he can do. And so she comes and she finds him and she throws herself at her feet and she says, have mercy on my daughter. She has a demon. Come that she might be healed. In this moment, Jesus makes one of the most troublesome statements in all of his statements that he makes throughout the course of the Gospels, at least in my opinion, when he says it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. He's calling the woman a dog. And I don't think we can whitewash that in any way, shape, or form. Now, folks, I've read a lot of different commentaries. I've read a lot of different things. I've heard a lot of different people talk about this. A lot of people try and explain this moment away. They try and say, well, well, maybe Jesus knew what was going on and there had been some previous interaction with this woman that we don't hear about, and he's, he's just kind of joking around, and she's in on the joke, and we can tell that by the way she responds. Others have said that he's testing her, that he's already displayed his, his willingness to heal and perform miracles for Gentiles, and so he, he knows full well what he's going to do, and so he's just testing her faith, and her response is, is what continues to prompt us. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that people try and explain this away, but I think maybe we don't let Jesus off the hook here. And I know that could be troublesome for you. It's troublesome for me to think about Jesus treating another person this way calling this woman a dog simply because of her cultural background. That strikes against everything that we tend to hold dear for Jesus. And that just doesn't sit well with me, and I can't explain it, and you know what? I'm not going to try to. I am not going to try and explain away what Jesus was doing here. But what I will say is this. It seems that in this moment, that full humanity of Jesus, which he fully embodied, because Jesus is fully human and fully divine, it seems that the fully human is on display in this moment, and it holds up a mirror to our humanity and the way that we can treat one another, the way that we interact with one another, the way that we look down on people because of whatever reasoning. It's holding up a mirror, and I don't like what I see. Maybe you don't either. Now, as the story continues, as Jesus has this moment, whatever is going on, and he says it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, the woman strikes right back. She calls him Lord. By the way, she's the only person in all of Mark's gospel that do that, interestingly enough. But she says, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps, the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Whatever is going on in this moment, the faith of the woman is on display and Jesus says, because of your great faith, go, let it be as you have said. And the girl is healed from a distance. Look at what a crumb can do. The woman gets her crumb and her daughter is healed. The power of the divine, the power of God, the, the love of God, the, the, the amazing ability of God is on display in this crumb and the girl is healed. Now, as our scripture continues, we have this other story that reveals yet another way that Jesus performs a healing. For this other individual, it's, it's a man who's, who's deaf and he can't speak correctly. He's got a speech impediment of some sort. And Jesus performs a healing. He gives this crumb, this sliver of God's power in yet another form. In that particular instance, instead of doing it from a distance and just speaking the word, this time he pokes his fingers in the guy's ears and he spits for whatever reason and he touches his tongue and he says, be opened. And the ears and the mouth of the man are open and he is healed and, and, and 
he has that same healing, that same miracle. Think about all the different ways that Jesus displays his power, these these crumbs of God's power, of the divine coming through Jesus, all these different ways that they are expressed. We have countless different ways that Jesus heals. Sometimes he heals from a distance without even seeing the person. Sometimes he touches them. Sometimes he spits. Sometimes he makes mud and he plasters it on the person. He says, go and wash. And at other times, the power comes out of him passively. There are different ways that that power of God comes through Jesus to give them that crumb. And look what a crumb can do. Folks, when I think about the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God in the form of a crumb, it puts me in mind of Holy Communion. When we receive not an entire meal, but we receive just a morsel, just a crumb of the body and the blood of Jesus. And in that, we receive the forgiveness, the love, the claim, the grace of God is present in that crumb. When I think about all of this, I'm reminded of a sermon that I heard a few years back by an individual, a pastor, who was at that time kind of a bigwig in the ELCA and our denomination. In fact, he was the elected vice president of the ELCA, so in the administrative hierarchy, he was basically number two. He'd also been a bishop of a synod, and of course, he'd been a pastor even before that. So he had served in the pastoral capacity in many different times, and he told this story, and I'm going to speak as him. In every single parish that I've ever served, there was always at least one other person in leadership that I just didn't see eye to eyes with. I would butt heads with them. Every single decision, every single meeting, our opinions would clash to the point where I just could not understand them. And I could not wrap my head around their way of thinking. I just couldn't get there. And I just thought they are the absolute worst. But then I realized that every single time we had those meetings and I thought that about them, they walked out thinking the exact same thing about me. But then we would gather for worship and that person would come forward to the table to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they were forgiven and I had to deal with it. And then I would receive the body and blood of Jesus and I too would be forgiven and they had to deal with it. The power of God present in the elements and present when the promise of God is spoken, that's this crumb, this power of God that brings forgiveness, that brings mercy, that brings love, that brings all of that and brings us together, putting us on equal footing before God. Fully loved, fully accepted, fully claimed people of God. That's what a crumb can do. Now, folks, this passage today is troublesome. Again, I don't deny that. It holds up a mirror to the humanity that's common with Jesus and common for all of us. And I don't like what I see because I see a lot of my own tendencies present within it. But let it be known what the power of God can accomplish and what a crumb of God's power and mercy can do for all of us. Amen.